If you're an entrepreneurial public servant, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA, and in today's episode, I have the pleasure of sitting down with my friend, new friend, new partner, uh, and somebody I respect a whole lot, even though we haven't known each other too long, Phil Abramson. Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, Phil... Uh, first part of the show is talking to everybody about how you got to where you are. So Phil is, uh, the owner and I guess managing principal of topology, but Phil, how did you get to where you are? Tell us a little bit, uh, as much as you want about your background and and how you decided to take the path you did and, and what got you where you are today. Sure. Um, yeah, I guess it was a pretty non-traditional path for, for a planner to take, but, uh, here I am. Um, my, uh, my education, I'm a three-time graduate of Rutgers university. So I'm a Jersey guy, uh, through and through and, uh, never really lived anywhere else. Um, but have traveled a lot on Google maps, uh, looking at, (laughs) looking at the live view there. But, uh, yeah, so my undergraduate was in criminal justice. I, uh, always wanted to be a lawyer. And um, nobody ever told me that that wasn't necessarily the best uh, undergraduate major. I ended up making a lot of friends with a lot of nice police officers uh, (laughs) who were my classmates at the time. But uh, it was an interesting uh, field of study because, you know, criminal justice is about sociology. It's about the way that people interact with their communities and kind of some of the bad things that happen when things don't always go the right way. And uh, spending enough time in that industry and, or, you know, in that field of study, um, going to the prisons, seeing the kind of hard side of life was something that really wasn't for me. Um, and you know, we were taught a lot about nature and nurture. Mm. Um, and like the nature is something that I never really, uh, saw myself being too involved in changing. Um, but nurture, I always looked at it. There was, there was like two types of nurture that happen in someone's life that um, you have like the what happens in your household and your family and your personal relationships. But then like the world around us nurtures us. The world around us communicates to us like this whole idea of the broken windows theory. And, um, you know, that, that, that a, the physical aspects of a place can communicate, whether it's subconsciously or, or whatever, um, to its inhabitants and kind of create certain behaviors and certain beliefs about yourself. Um, so that that always appealed to me. I ended up doing uh, a very long senior thesis on um, the Nork riots and originally as a study in, in crime um, because, you know, we had uh, people and a, and a citizenry um, that in the late 1960s ended up, you know, setting fire to their own city um, and an occupying force coming in. And I left that research uh, not really focused on crime, but focused on leadership um, focused on politics, focused on the way that cities grow um, and the way that cities uh, treat their people. Um, so that got me onto the whole world of planning. I had a professor um, who might not remember me now, but I'll say his name, Max Herman. And he said, uh, Phil, don't become an academic. Uh, go, be- <laughs> go become a planner because you could actually like make things happen. So I, um, I ended up file- uh, applying at that point to do a dual degree at Rutgers Law School and, uh, and the planning school. Fast forward several years, 
uh, came out of both programs, um, ended up becoming licensed as an attorney, but, uh, and as a planner, um, during, during that time, I was a night student at Rutgers law school, uh, 2008 to 2011. And it was, it was a hard time, uh, to come out of school. It was a hard time to be in the real estate industry. Um, I almost gave up, uh, I almost actually went back to my roots as, uh, trying to get a job at the U S attorney's office and, um, ended up having this opportunity kind of, uh, fall on my lap from a conference that I went to a year earlier, the New Jersey future conference, which is a great organization. And, um, I got my first like break, I would say, uh, working at this place called Jonathan Rose companies, uh, which is, I would say like nationally speaking, um, one of the most innovative developers, um, asset managers, investors in the urban space. Um, they have offices in Seattle, Denver, um, Albuquerque in Connecticut and New York. What, um, when work- you say innovative, what kind of, is it the development side or the product that's, that is innovative? Yeah, I would say both um, the process and the product, and but also um, the structure of the company as well. Okay, that um, Jonathan is, uh, you know, comes from a, a New York City real estate family. Um, when they went right, he went left, and uh, he decided to use his know-how and some of his capital to really create green, affordable housing when kind of nobody else was doing that. To create really beautiful, affordable housing, he learned how to you know, leverage the tax credit programs. And through all that, um, and kind of the the world evolved around him at the time, and big banks, um, you know, Citibank, Goldman Sachs, and others needed to start placing money into these urban neighborhoods. And he became kind of that ideal partner for them um, to acquire and manage assets that were part of the Community Reinvestment Act. Um, But he also ended up doing project management, um, construction management for cultural institutions. He, he built um, the Cooper Union uh, uh, College in Manhattan, um, School of New York School of Interior Design, several theaters, um, and a bunch of like really great nonprofit type things, um, like a bakery for um, people that were coming out of prison and, and needed to get reemployed. So um, is he the deal sponsor on the, all these or is he the... Yeah. Yeah, he was a mover and shaker. He was kind of all those things. Um, And we had a construct, you know, so that company was split up into a planning group, development group, um, asset management and 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 an owner's rep group. So I ended up first coming into the planning group. And like right initially, uh, my boss at the time, Daniel Hernandez, who ultimately became um, my co-founder at Topology, I uh, was like, you ever heard of Morristown, New Jersey? And I was like, yeah, that's where I grew up. And he's like, you ever heard of Newark, New Jersey? And I'm like, that's where I'm sitting right now. We were on the phone. And um, so I ended up uh, right at that point in my late 20s, uh, becoming the town planner where I grew up and probably working on, at the time, the biggest master plan that was going on in the state uh, for Newark, New Jersey. So that was um, that was what I did for uh, four, four or so years. Um, at Jonathan's office, I ended up um, moving beyond the planning world and kind of doing some direct real estate development, uh, did a mixed use project, um, under their banner, uh, in South Orange, New Jersey. And in 2014, I had the opportunity to, um, branch out on my own. Um, and that's when I started topology, uh, with Daniel. Awesome. So one of the things that strikes me and and maybe it's, um, 
the kindred spirit that I'm, I feel with you is we've been on both sides of the table. So we understand the government side. We understand being a steward of the government's uh, objectives and understanding the compliance side of that and why all of that exists. But we also understand the developer's mindset and the end goal of both sides. And, and I talk about this with uh, contractors too, uh, construction guys. It's like you, you appreciate when you appreciate the other s- side of the table, there's a better partnership there because you've walked in their shoes. You understand. And, and we were talking before this call about building rapport and like so much, so much relationship has been lost in public procurement. Um, but I think projects are only successful with an understanding of each other's objectives and, and appreciating you know, where the other person's sitting. So I, I think that, that strikes me that you've been on the developer side and you've been on the municipality side. Uh, that probably makes you that much better of a planner. Uh, sure. and, and from a project development standpoint, you know, it makes you that much better of a project development partner because you, you, you understand what the developer is trying to accomplish. And then the amount of things that you've navigated and what you've been exposed to, you know, you you talked about leveraging the tax credits for green affordable housing. When you start to understand, I think everybody knows that there's a lot of programs available, but nobody knows how to tap into them. Uh, And when you can start being the translator of what I would call just bureaucratic programs into actual implementable, uh, you know, it's part of the capital stack. All of a sudden you become a very powerful partner Uh, as a professional. Um, Talk to us about what, well, first of all, talk to us about why you thought you should start topology. It's interesting. Um, So when I, uh, at that time, um, Rose Companies was kind of moving out of the planning space. And uh, so I was, I kind of had a choice in front of me of, um, you know, moving into full development mode. Uh, And like you were saying, that has always been my love of, of my profession and of my career is like being on both sides. And I always like, you know, kind of tap danced um, and, and made it and made choices in my career. So I could have exposure to both. You know, I've never, I've always been a consultant. I've never worked fully for the government. I've never worked necessarily fully on the development side. So um, I hear, you know, I totally agree with what you're saying on that. And so I had the choice of kind of going full developer mode Um, and part of that would have been, uh, leaving the position of being the planner in Marstown. And that I had, I just felt like that was the greatest opportunity, uh, in the world for me, both, you know, personally and emotionally, because that's like the place where I come from. That's like where I went to the movies when I was a little kid and like, uh, you know, went on my first dates and walked down the street and like, so I just have very, very fond memories. And then like all through planning school, when I wrote my case studies, they were all about Marstown. And I never really thought that I'd kind of go back home uh, and and do that work. So uh, it w- it would have been a big thing for me to give that up. Um, and just that there was so much happening there. There's there's been so much development. There's been so much success. We were doing a master plan. We had, you know, we were just. Um, I had such. A, I have such good relationships with the mayor and the administrator and the council members and all that. So it feels like family. Like when I'm back there now, even on Zoom. Uh, like, and I go into a council meeting and I'm in all these other towns, I come back to Morristown and it's like, these are my people. It's old home so, week. Yeah. yeah. So that's, um, 
So I like for me, it was a very kind of easy decision. And I needed to create this company to kind of keep that relationship. And that's how it started with one client um, and, you know, one relationship. And I kind of didn't know um, I didn't know much about, you know, having a business or like running it or I just I knew how to kind of manage that one client. Um, and then ultimately, uh, you have to, you know, it's like they say with hospitals and stuff like you grow or you die. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, and that's where I have found myself for the past seven years. Yeah. Uh, what has been, whether it's been business related or project related, what's been one of the, you know, hardest challenges you've had to, had to overcome <laughs> or navigate? Uh, um, so I'll, uh, I'll answer um, this in two ways. Um, on the business side, uh, you know, I read this book uh, a while ago on um, uh, Abraham Lincoln, and it was called Lincoln on Leadership. And he talked about uh, like rule number, it was about five rules of leadership that you learn from Abraham Lincoln. And number one is that your organization takes on your, your identity if you're a leader, Right. And that scares the shit out of me. Right. <laughs> so uh, I'm like, oh, my God, like all the warts and all like what, you know, what will be these things? So I uh, just like maybe, you know, I have two little kids and like you look at your kids and you're like, you know, are they, like, are they going to follow? Like you don't want them to follow, make your mistakes. I don't want my organization to make my mistakes. Um, so I think that um, just having all these different people, all these different personalities, like I've gone um, and my company has evolved. We're about 15 strong right now. And, but like, those are not the 15 people. None of them are the ones that we started with. Those are not the ones that um, were even like the second generation of, of folks in the office. So like, it took a long time to um, like find the right team and maybe even more so for me to be the right person. Um, because I, you know, as you, as you come to realize um, like you're repeating the same mistakes, you're having the same type of relationship troubles, you're having whatever. And uh, it's like, okay, well, you got to look at yourself at some point. So I think kind of growing into that role and um, like finally getting the systems down and getting the right people around you and trusting yourself as a business owner uh, is, you know, key to, to all this. Um, and on the, on the work side, on the pro project side, like my heartache comes from, um, sometimes things get very political, um, yeah. and they, and people, and like, we live in this world right now <clears throat> where, uh, the truth doesn't matter and it's just about scoring points. And, um, and, uh, you know, the work that I do, I always kind of looked at myself and I, maybe I fooled myself that my work was like above that. Um, and that urban planning was above politics and that, like I was not like people never would kind of come at me because like I cared about my communities. Like I took an oath as AICP and like I took an oath to the public interest and I, it, it took a few years, but eventually um, I became, you know, associated with certain elected officials and uh, that I was working for and certain projects and people didn't like those projects. So they didn't like those elected officials. And then you end up with a target and, that's a hard thing to swallow uh, when you've when you've really dedicated yourself to a municipality um, and then some disgruntled developers, you know, make it their mission to uh, kind of come at you. There's a lot to unpack there. So uh, I'm going to go with the project side first. Uh, we can come back to business if we have time. But 
because there's a lot I identify with, with what you're saying, but, um, I've met with a number of people and, and we do more larger infrastructure than smaller community development projects. And there was a time in America when infrastructure investment was above politics. Now it seems that everything's above politics and it feels like, you know, I I'm with you. I, you know, I, I have no misintent. I'm not, you know, this just seems to be the right solution to the problem we're facing. And, Sure, you know, I don't know who said it, try to make everybody happy, you know, you'll just drive your drive yourself crazy. Uh, so that's definitely never going to be the result of anything we do. But it's shocking to me how politicized everything can be now and how much power is in that and it's it's the it's the emotional power that is being abused in my opinion. Uh and that's local to to federal we've we're always looking for the problems and exacerbating them as opposed to what i think guys like you and i are forced to do which is focus on even if it's an inch of agreement how do we start at the agreement and widen from there as opposed to start at the chasm and try to come in from either side it's just impossible and and like we were talking about before we got on the call what is the personal connection? What's the personal relationship? Because in in the disconnected social media world, Zoom calls, whatever, uh, it's so much easier to – anybody can write an op-ed any day of the week by putting a Facebook post and any truth or not truth can go viral. And it's a really, really disconnected lack of relationship world that we're we're navigating now. So – I, I'm with you, and I don't know. I don't know that we have the answer. I feel like yeah. if we focus on the relationships, that's the starting point. Uh, what and are I your think, reactions? You know, to I think that? BJ that um, if I could say what, like, if I could say one thing about it, it's it just underscores leadership, um, the role of leadership, and not like yes, amongst us. Um, but I always looked at myself as a like a facilitator and empowerer of good elected officials you know, and, and I have a few, um, that I work with and their courage is astounding to me. Um, because like, these are their communities. They go in the, you know, Saturday morning, grab coffee and like, have, they have to see the people that are writing these op-eds. Like I, I, if I don't live there, I don't have to do that. And so it's easy for me to kind of look at it very like surgically, um, as if I'm like the doctor of planning and I don't have to, uh, take the stuff personally, but, that is that is the difference because I've I've worked with other types of elected officials, um, and they can get very spooked and very skittish. And this world and like these leadership positions are not for the faint of heart. They're not for the people pleasers. Um, they're for people that have a vision and that know how to stick to it. And that's to me the biggest determinant of success in in the world that I'm in in municipal redevelopment in New Jersey that there will, these things will always become, um, a target. It's an, they're an easy target because it's change, right? Yep. People are nervous about change and what will happen in their community. It's easy to make people scared about what will happen. And if we make a mistake and have too much traffic, what about the school kids, like whatever. So it takes that leadership and that person to say, to understand the difference because 
it's so easy to get wrapped up in that and think about the next election cycle and you know what what, what will come of me if i don't if these people are allowed to say all this stuff and and as professionals i mean so the politics are probably very strong and and the community engagement is that much greater at your level we tend to support public agencies public entities uh, Duke DeLuca said on our podcast, uh, retired general who is a Corps of Engineers guy said, there's not a politician in the world that doesn't want the Corps of Engineers standing between them and a public construction or, or, um, or civil work project. So, you know, the Corps of Engineers tends to be our client, the VA medical centers, um, the, the transportation agencies. And I, I'm with you, leadership and and champion leadership and having the courage to change starts at them. But I also think as an industry, it's our job as professionals to be advising them to give them the facts and the opinions and the trends and all of the, all of the supporting detail that allows them not to have courage because it's their vision, but to have courage because it's for the greater good. And there is, there is something, uh, there's data supporting whatever change they're trying to make. Uh, I think a, a not, a not enough people in our industry, like at that high level where they're directing interact, uh, interacting directly with elected officials, appreciate the fact that we're actually coaches, like that we are doing this day in, day out. Um, they are, you know, they were working a desk job or they were working wherever before they ran for office at a sense of public service. They need our help. Um, and so just like, you know, you're a great construction manager and I'm a great planner. Like part of our secondary aptitude needs to be around this emotional intelligence, this political intelligence, because they need us to help them understand what's going on at times. And and I think that that is something that like the difference between good and great in terms of what we do um, is being able to like provide very practical, sober advice when it, when it comes to stuff like this. Yeah. You talked about sociology. It's all, yeah, it's part psychology to, right. uh, to the clients sure. as well, which psychology leads me to the business side, I, you know, and, and the organization becomes, you know, I forget exactly what you said, Abraham Lincoln's, uh, you know, the, the organization takes on your, uh, personality, uh, your flaws and all. And I, I'm with you. It's like you get married, and you hope that your kids are going to take on all your positives and all your spouse's positives and, right. you know, none of, none of your negatives. Um, and it is a lot of pressure uh, to, because we, we know we have weaknesses. And I say it all the time, if there was a bunch of me running around, we would have one crazy organization. Uh, what, what's been your greatest, uh, I guess, eureka moment in that? And, and how, did you, how did you get there? That's a hard one. Um, I guess I'll say two things. Like one is that the, I don't, there might be a name for this, but one of my first coaches, a guy named Dave Shanebeck, um, he had me do this grid, right? And uh, it's like a matrix. And so on the top of it is um, like what you're good at. On the bottom of it is what you're horrible at. And then the left side is um, what you want to be doing and what you don't want to be doing. We, we so call like, that the we call that the delegate and elevate matrix. Yeah, I, I stole that from entrepreneurial opera, uh, EOS, uh, Gino Wickman. He calls it the dele- delegate and elevate. So that, but, yeah. um, and they, uh, you know, that when you're, when you're like in that, your sweet spot in life is 
doing the things you're good at and doing the thing that you love, that re- you really love. And then figuring out these other things, like when you're starting out on your own and it's just you and maybe like a couple of contractors or something, like you don't have the ability to, to stop doing it, but you know that that's that goal is yeah. to get that lower quadrant, the heck out of your life. And that becomes the driver to like, okay, I'm putting money away for this so I could hire this person or whatever. And so I think that that was, and like, I, I guess related to that, my second point is, um, you know, I'm coming to like metaphors today. Like uh, I think about it like a Hydra um, and you learned about this in, in like high school science class that it's like a plant. And then like the little branches grow off and fall to the ocean floor and then they regrow their own new, uh, their own new sponges or hydras or whatever. And so that's always been the way that I've looked at growing this organization is like, I need to create like Phil Abramson, the accountant to deal with my books. So I'm going to like grow that for now. And then I'm going to, that's to be the first one to get off uh, and go plan to <laughs> new whatever. And then like fill the project manager, fill the land use planner. So like I, that's how I knew what I'd be able to grow on my own as an organization. Um, like these are all the things that I can do that I'm good at and that those will be my lines of business. Yeah. Um, and, and then I'll get those lines of business going and I'll hire somebody awesome to run them. And, you know, like kind of the rest is history for me. It took a, a long time to get there. Um, but we, we are there and like we have groups and like, you know, some of my, like my proudest moments um, owning a business is just like when I see like one of the directors or managers in my office teaching or complimenting or being a good leader to one of the junior staff. And it's like, wow, like this is working. Yeah. So that's, that's great. Uh, yeah, to kind of see that thing grow. Um, like that's why you do it at, at some point. And, um, and that like, those are, I guess that's the best uh, straightforward thing I could say about I, it. I, and I think, uh, you know, we have, we probably have some corporate listeners and I think some of this stuff is the obvious, like, of course you're, you know, you're a planner and a consultant. Why would you be doing the accounting? But I think it's, it's part that's, lost in the small business world is like, and, and I certainly probably underappreciated it coming out of the military because like I always talk about every Friday, uncle Sam was making the paychecks and yes, we always had more resources than we needed. And, and the resources, resource arguments or frustrations we had are like a joke to small business. Um, so it's, it's not that it's not obvious. It's that you just can't afford Sure. it and how quickly can you afford it and every you know dan sullivan talks about who not how and it, it's it's a no-brainer when you say like yeah of course i would love to have an ar department or a finance department or an hr department but guess what that costs money and there's no fractional solution to full-time problems right and so i i identify very much with that um Moving into more of a Q&A here, Phil, sure. uh, any specific current event, public policy, society issue uh, that you're actively involved in or, or uh, currently passionate about? You know, I, I mean, I feel like um, the work that I do in many ways is like where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. Um, and like whatever's happening with retail post pandemic, like I just sat on a conference this uh, at the New Jersey planning conference this morning on a panel about retail. 
um, you know, whatever happening with housing, whatever's happening with affordable housing, whatever's happening with New Jersey cannabis regulation, like all of these different things that are kind of um, coming out of the world, they eventually have to land. And I think, you know, somebody somewhere once said, like, all politics is local. Yeah. And, uh, and if that's the case, then all politics is planning because all these things need to find a place to go and there needs to be local policy. And people like don't always know what planners like what it means to be a planner. And like my friends, like, what's a planner? I'm like, I don't know. I'll let you know if I figure it out. But really though, like the kind of work that I do, like people, like engineers hold up plans, right? These big pieces of paper. That's not what I produce. Like I produce a, how do we get from A to B to C to D? And that could be anything from how do we make housing more affordable and getting to the root causes of affordability, which is like not what you'd think necessarily um, I'd be working on or, how should that uh, the porch be designed there to make it feel more pedestrian and and like and that's what I love about the work um but you know it's hard for me to say just one thing um that I'm working on at the moment because like these my client communities need to deal with the real world as it's thrown at them um so we have to kind of be versed in in whatever's they're going to be in front of them it's it's funny i used to say you know people ask me if i would ever run for office. And I always thought real estate development was like private sector politics. It's like, it's, it's the way to create change without running for office. And I think to your point, like planners are the people that connect the dots from politics to policy and then policy to implementation yep. and completely underappreciated and, and great planners, I think, uh, do that well. I mean, historically, and, you know, some, some may be more politically than others or, or more um, without regard for politics, uh, you know, more historically, Robert Moses-ish. Uh, well, he was an excellent uh, politician, actually. Yeah, that's what I mean. He, well, yeah. he was, <laughs> yeah, uh, he kind of controlled the narrative as he, as he needed to, right? Uh, favorite quote and why? it's because we just got done talking about this it's going to sound like uh it's just because we just got done talking about it (laughs) but like what i tell my staff all the time is like somebody said politics is the art of the possible um and i say planning is the art of the possible because like don't like we're not going to sit there and like sit on perfect and let perfect here's another one for you um don't let perfect be the enemy of good yep um and uh, like that's like where our job is to get things done and to move things ahead and like something in many, many cases is better than nothing. Um, and if, you know, given that choice, uh, we, we have to be delivering um, and delivering value in our communities. So um, I just always have to remind because it's so easy for us to get idealistic uh, about what we do. Yeah. A, um, what is it? A, 80% solution violently executed is better than a perfect solution, you know, yeah. sitting in, sitting in plans. It, it's so true. And like, it's countercultural because you know, we, we as a society want excellence and we want perfection and how dare there be problems with what was just rolled out, but nothing happens without proof of concept and iteration. And, you know, if, if we have to be the, the quick starts and the, the first movers to something, just to get us, you know, a problem or a solution started, so be it. 
Um, and there is risk that you take on with that because, um, because it's open to criticism. Uh, but I, I like both of those must read books. Hmm. You brought up Robert Moses, uh, power broker is a killer book. Um, a lot of my staff is like, don't go around saying you like Robert Moses. But I think that he was like, he was one of the inventors of this profession. Um, uh, at least on the harder side, uh, of this profession. Absolutely. He got shit done. Yeah. Um, other must read books. Um, uh, some books that I haven't read yet that I have on my desk to read, uh, startup communities about how local government can create uh, entrepreneurial ecosystems. Something I'm definitely interested in, um, brave new home, uh, strong towns. Uh, these are all, uh, kind of planning books, but I think there's like a lot of the other fundamentals out there. I loved, I think for me, one of my transformative times in my life, like early thirties, trying to figure out like what I am and who I want to be and um, the things they don't teach you in school, like biographies, Um, biographies of people that you respect. uh, There's no, you know, replacement for, for history. And um, like Alexander Hamilton, George Washington, you know, again, Lincoln, uh, these people who were faced with adversity and created something out of nothing. Um, and there was one more thing. Oh, 48 laws of power, obviously. Uh, you say, obviously, I don't know it. No, it's a pretty, uh, Robert Greene, pretty famous book. Um, every time I'm like going in before like a really, uh, intimidating situation and I need to like, um, meditate a little bit, like I'll, I'll just flip open. It's 48 different chapters, 48 different stories. Each one is a rule of power. And, uh, there's, thir- there's also another book called 33 strategies of war. Um, I bet I bet you didn't think you were going to get this out of a planner, right? I, I didn't. I love it. Um, so this is uh, but this is like this is the world, and like I'm there to protect the public interest. And uh, there's a lot of people who would make a lot of money um, at its expense. So you know, we have to we have to be well versed in in all of these things, strategy and and whatnot. Stewardship. I Stewardship. I agree, and and. On behalf of you know our clients, we have to be well versed in it. And you know, I every planner I've met, um, and I start to identify as a planner because we have a planning firm, and that's more than half of our work. Um, brings kind of that holistic view of the world. I mean, it's some of the smartest people. And to your point, no, no offense to our architects and engineers out there we're dealing with the problem when it's in like a very undefined nebulous stage. Once, once it's like figured out and the, the, you know, it's right. like just design it. You know, it kind of reminds me, I think it was like maybe John Adams or someone that said that like I study politics and war. So my children can study poetry and art or something like that. Hmm. And I feel like we have to do this. Um, and we have to like kind of harden ourselves a little bit so the softer things can take hold. So the parks, so the, like, so I can do the design work. So I, cause I need, but I need to, I need to defend my space to do that good work. And if I don't, they're going to, they'll roll all over me and like, they'll get their project approved and I won't have a say in what the architecture is if they don't respect me. And if they don't respect our profession. That's great. Um, and, and really a shout out to the, the entire AEC community. I feel like depending on what, what world you're in and what industry you're in and, and developers. Um, I think the vast majority of them are trying to be good stewards of 
of the entire, you know, of a deal making process of a partnership, um, and, and of a relationship and, and to create project success. And that, I mean, that's really the ultimate goal of the podcast is to highlight those stories and to, to bring light to our industry because we are second fiddle to whatever's being talked about in the news and the divisiveness of the politics. But behind the scenes, there's a whole bunch of people trying to work together to, to just get things done. Um, true. So I love that you're bringing that out. Uh, dead or alive, you probably are going to repeat some of these people. If you could hang out with three people for a day, who would they be and what would you do? Mm. Um, definitely Hamilton. Uh, and I would just ask him like how he thought all this shit up and like how he was <laughs> such an amazing uh, person given where he came from. Um, Can you believe I still have not seen the show or the movie on Disney? It's, uh, you, you should. Everybody should. Um, I think it's like a rite of American passage now. But I read the book, and I read the book probably around the same time uh, that Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote the play, read it. And it's the same Chernow uh, biography. And um, it's, it's, his story is, is really amazing, especially anybody that came from kind of humble beginnings, um, which he did. Uh, and, made, and really, and he, he invented the modern world in so many ways. So... Uh, definitely him. Um, I never met my grandfather. Uh, he died before I was born. I would like to have, um, to have met him to understand a little bit more about my family and everybody's personalities. Um, and who else, who else? Um, I think Elon Musk would be really interesting to hang out with for a day. Cause I think that he's kind of the modern, uh, whatever you want to call it, Thomas Edison, you know, he's the modern visionary. He's the one who's like not accepting the world as he sees it. And, uh, but in a way he also is because he's making things happen in that world. So yeah, I, I do respect him uh, a lot and all the things that he's been doing. All right. Legacy. What do you want on your tombstone or how would you like to be remembered? Uh, you know, it's it's funny. I just went through this branding exercise with my business, and I, I surveyed all my staff, um, and we came up with these adjectives. Everybody had to put an adjective in a hat, and uh, I don't know if I put it in, but legacy was one of those words that ended up in there, and that was the one that scored the highest amongst, you know, a bunch of 30-somethings uh, in my office. So I think that planners are very tied to legacy. Um, I think that you know, I, I've said, um, this is like kind of deep for a planning board meeting, but I said that like, you know, these buildings are our legacy and, and that's why I take them so seriously. So, um, like maybe it would say he got some shit done. He got some good shit done. Like I'm cool with that. Love his kids. <laughs> there you go. A family man who got some shit done. Yeah. Uh, in closing, anything you want to share with the audience? Uh, and then we'll talk about how uh, how they can find you in the interwebs. Sure. Um, no, I just, I think, uh, you know, if you, if you found this show, like you're obviously like spending time trying to better yourself and, and trying to, you know, do extracurricular learning. And, um, I pat you on the back. I think that that's been, um, you know, one of my uh, secrets that like, this is life. This is a lifestyle. Um, what we do is a lifestyle 
and that uh, being being committed to your own personal education and making a bet on yourself and investing in yourself is um, is the difference uh, and makes all the difference about your future. Um, and you know, not to say that everybody here is like just starting out in their careers that, that these these changes can happen in yourself at any time at any age. And uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing. If if you're here and you're listening and you're listening at uh, at this minute of the show, uh, you're doing a good job and you hung in there. So keep keep it up. Awesome, Phil. Thanks so much. How can uh, people find you? Uh, our website is uh, topology.is, which is actually Iceland's domain, but it, it was part of our whole branding, like what is topology? And uh, so topology is, and um, that's our uh, our website. And we're also, you know, we're on Instagram, we're on uh, Facebook, we're on LinkedIn. Um, so anybody ever wants to reach out to me, uh, if I could ever be helpful, um, I'm here I'm here for the love of the game, not for, you know, contracts and things like that. So I'm always happy to help advise people no matter where they're at um, or what they're doing. Awesome, Phil. Great having you on the show. Hey, I, I uh, to all of our audience, if you're listening this long, thank you. We appreciate you. And if you're enjoying the show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People in Places on iTunes, Spotify, or any other podcast hosting platform. And uh, if if you get a chance, give us a review, share with somebody else that you think might enjoy uh, what we're putting out there uh, and other entrepreneurial public servants. And our website is www.mcfaglobal.com. Check out our newsletter and check out our career page. We are hiring uh, project management planners, project developers, and construction managers. Uh, You can find out more through the website. Until next time, appreciate listening and have a great weekend. Thanks.